if you were pregnant and you were going to have a child and someone said to you, he's going to be a wild donkey of a guy, right? That'd be offensive, wouldn't it? But let's remember in, in Hagar's generation, a donkey had incredible value. So they were domesticated. But God says, your son is going to be a wild donkey. Your son's not going to be a slave. Your son's going to be free. He's going to be wild. I'm going to set you free. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Abuse, and it is based on Genesis 16, 1-10, and 21, 17-20. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We're in the midst of a sermon series that is exploring when you feel like giving up. We're going on a journey each Sunday with different people from the pages of Scripture who felt like giving up. Real life people who felt like giving up. And we're seeing how God met them right at their places of pain or shame or anxiety or doubt or loneliness and helped rescue and restore them and change their futures. But that's what we should expect from God. Because ultimately, God would come in person in Jesus to experience human pain and shame and grief and temptations and rejection with us and for us. Now, kind of a trigger warning for this morning, we're going to explore the life of a woman who experienced abuse. Now, it's not graphic, but it's gritty. And I just want to give that kind of trigger warning so so that we know what's coming. So we're going to explore the life of a woman who no one really noticed. People just saw through her until they needed something from her. And then they took advantage of her. But in the midst of this, we see how God tenderly ministered to her. And she comes to the place to say, God sees me. And she comes to the place to say, I've seen God. I now grasp who God is. And not in her timing, but ultimately, God would liberate her and set her and her descendants free. Her story is found in Genesis chapter 16. In the blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 13. Or So in your Bible, or queue up your device, or in the house Bibles, or those who are worshiping online today, find Genesis chapter 16 so we can all follow along together. And we begin in verse 1. Let's join looking at it together. Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. She said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed. Now God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would uh, give birth to a miraculous child, a child when they were too old to have a child, and this child would grow into this great nation and become a blessing to the world. This would be the descendants or the um, uh, the family who then the fi- one of the descendants would be the Messiah, Jesus. This is part of God's plan to bring Messiah to bring blessing to the world. And we have to ask, well, wh- why did God choose Abram and Sarah? It wasn't because they impressed him. Because had God said, "Oh, Abram, Sarah, you're impressive." Look at your righteousness. Look at your religiosity. Then what would we always think? Man, somehow I have to impress God, don't I? 
How do we impress holy, pure, perfect, powerful, loving God of all the universe? Instead, God chose to covenant with them and work His redemptive mission simply out of His grace. And that's good news for you and me. Because you and I sometimes have felt or we've experienced being lost or broken or wounded or depraved and we've wounded people the things that we've thought. We need grace, don't we? And so God covenants with them out of His grace. And in response, so many times, they show tremendous faith and trust in God. But then as time passed, they got tired of waiting for God to deliver on this promise. And so they develop a scheme that's tragic. Isn't it easy for us to have put our faith in God And then we start waiting for something. We wait maybe for God to act in a way that we know God should really act. We've been praying and praying and praying, and God doesn't seem to have answered yet. Or we're still kind of experiencing some pain or some brokenness, and God hasn't really like fixed it yet. And in the midst of our waiting, it can be easy for us to give up, can't it? And that's kind of what happens here. Now, I want to clarify, God is not condoning what happens in this scene. God is brokenhearted and outraged about this. And it's in the Bible, not with God condoning it, but so we'll learn from the experiences of real life people in the midst of their faiths and their doubt. So they develop a scheme. And the scheme is that they would take this slave, Abram would sleep with her, and they would have children. Now, here's a theme for us to understand from this. This scheme really reflects their culture and not trusting God. Because what they're going to be doing was culturally acceptable. But they weren't trusting God and God's vision and God's call and God's ethics for their life. That could be a challenge for us too, can't it? And so there's a couple ways how they reflect their culture. First of all, it was culturally acceptable for uh, a patriarch uh, to have children with their slaves. See, children were like the workforce for an agrarian culture. And so uh, kids were also like your, your 401k retirement plan, all right? And so it was culturally acceptable for a patriarch to have children with slaves. In other words, they're conforming to their culture, not God's call. Because we're going to read that in the Hebrew Scriptures, God outlaws slavery as we know slavery. And so... They're conforming to their culture. Now, before we scoff and with our enlightened sneers, oh, look at these primitive people and the way that they lived. Are we shaped by our culture? Do we have blind spots that subsequent generations will say, oh, look at those primitive peoples in the inauguration of the 21st century. How could they think like that? So we need to Rather than justify ourselves and look at this, yes, we need to grieve over what happens, although we're going to see God set free and liberate this oppressed person. But we need to ask ourselves, God, are there blind spots in my life that God grieves and that subsequent generations might say, how how could they have done that? The second thing is, they are culturally driven with their identity. See, in the ancient Near East, like in some cultures today, but the ancient Near East... Family was your primary source of your identity. All right? You know, you couldn't like travel and, and ha- have access to education and build your life and create a whole new identity. Your identity was your family. And so uh, because of that, your family really was your status in the culture 
And how many children you have was, also, was often a sign of blessing. You had a lot of children, the gods were blessing you. you. You didn't have children? Oh, the gods must be cursing you. And so once again, what they're doing is they're, they're following cultural identity markers for their status. Every culture has identity markers, doesn't it? That says, this is what it means to be in. This is what it means to be valued. This is what it means to be important. This, this is how people are noticed. And once again, before our enlightened ears, remember, I think some of the ancients might look at our culture and they might say, now, wait a minute, we've just been transported here and let me get this right. You find a lot of your identity by your education, like what school you got in. You find a lot of your identity by the clothes you wear. You find a lot of your identity by your body image. You find a lot of your identity by, by your abilities in sports or music. No wonder your culture has so much anxiety and suicides and eating disorders. What a messed up culture. That's what they might say to us. Right? So we have to be careful before we say, oh, we have to say, wait a minute. Every culture has identity markers. And unless we have a real commitment to a worldview and understanding what our identity is in Christ, we will naturally gravitate, our, our hearts will be drawn, the, the, the GPS of our hearts, the compass of our hearts will be drawn toward whatever the cultural identity markers are. And we'll start trying to live out those. And those can lead to such incredible wreckage sometimes. Well, here the wreckage begins. Move down to verse 4. So Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And so Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. So there's a couple of things that happen out of the wreckage of this sin. Out of not trusting God and instead taking their own path thinking that they're solving something that would be culturally uh, cheered. First of all, Hagar gets dehumanized. She's viewed as an economic commodity so that her owners can improve their status, they can have greater privilege, and they can have greater economic value. But once again, we have to ask, wait a minute, how are people dehumanized in our culture in our world today. Maybe for some it's, not all, but some it's people who pick our fruit or sew our garments in sweatshops or in factories put our electronics together or ensnared in porn or viewed as a stereotype because of racism or live in some urban settings where there are food deserts and there's no healthy foods and where there's tremendous violence and where the schools are so chronically underfunded that there's hardly any opportunities except for that 1% who are gifted athletes or musicians or scholars, right? But what about the rest? And the second thing is their sin damages relationships. Sarah says, you're responsible. I mean, I, I, it was my idea for you to sleep with her, but you're responsible, Okay. And then Abram, the same thing. He says, well, all right, then just do with her whatever you want. Someone he just slept with. See, it's damaging their relationship. They're blaming e e each other. Sin damages relationships and oppresses other people. And so, this is one of the reasons I don't want us to give up. 
sometimes the hard, rocky road of following Christ. Because when we drift into sin, it can damage so many relationships and it can destroy so many people's lives. Let's not give up the way that Abram and Sarah in this episode, there's other episodes where they have tremendous faith and they're going to grow in their faith. But at this moment, there's wreckage because they didn't trust God. Well, now in verse 6, the, the, the narrative and the narrator begins to turn toward Hagar and how God ministered to her. This is really the heart of this episode. Verse 6, then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It's the spring beside the road to Shur. Hagar, he said, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar feels like giving up. When a pregnant woman flees to the wilderness, you know that she's giving up. Because there were no homeless shelters. There's no hotlines to call. There's, there's no police intervention. There's no attorneys to file a brief. And she is in the desert, and as far as she can see, there's desert. She's giving up. She's lost hope. And yet God meets her right at the lowest place where she feels like giving up and she's lost hope. And there's a few things from this. First of all, God calls her by name. I wonder how long it had been since anybody called her by name. She's the slave girl. But God says, hey, God, he calls her by name. You know, God calls you by name because God knows everything intimately about each one. Our hopes and dreams, our joys and sorrows. God knows everything about us and calls us individually by name. Sometimes we can think, you know, God is so busy. God must not have time. Are you kidding? God is infinite. I have a hard enough time paying attention to one person. God can pay attention to 100% of people 100% of the time. Calls her by name. Second of all, God invites her to share her story. He says, hey, girl, where have you been and where are you going? Now, God knows where she's been, where she's going. He's inviting her to share. God's listening to her. Don't ever think, well, God's too busy. To, and there's other people who have bigger issues. Hey, God invites us. God wants to listen. God wants to hear. God wants to relate with us. And let's remember, it's not because God's lonely. Remember, God is in perfect community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Trinity, perfect community. God has no needs. But God loves to see. God, God's treasure storehouse, it's unfathomable of love for us, longs to engage with us. Not so God narcissistically can have us, but just the opposite, so that we can relate with God and experience the healing and the change and the liberation and the hope that comes from God in our lives and through us to the lives of other people. And the third thing is God is going to speak hope for the future to her. Look down at verse 10. It says, I will increase your descendants. Wow. Hagar, you're not going to die. Matter of fact, you're going to have a lot of descendants. Hagar, I have a future for you. I think sometimes when we feel like giving up we can lose sight of the fact that there's this meta-narrative and God is at work. And if God sent Christ on the cross to sacrifice His life for us and paid that great of a cost to redeem us, God's not about to give up on us now. 
But it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? It feels like it. And those are times that, God, help me to trust that somehow you're here. Somehow you may be grieving, but you have plans and purposes beyond this that can offer hope. Now, sometimes that's delivered in this life, but we know if not, there will be ultimate justice in eternity where all wrongs will be righted and all hope will be restored. Here's what's amazing. In her society, Hagar is viewed as property. To God, Hagar is precious. Let me repeat that. In the culture, Hagar is property. To God, Hagar is precious. You are treasured by God. Our identity cannot come from our culture. Oh, we need to reside in our culture, and we might find great satisfaction in some of the things that we do in our culture as gifts of God that we enjoy. But as soon as we find our identity in the things of our culture, we'll be on a roller coaster because one day at work it's going well, the next day we get a pink slip. One time, oh, we're like, oh man, I'm, I'm in this social circle, and then the next we get rejected or we graduate and move or somebody wounds us. And it can go on and on and on. Where is, what is the source of our identity? And the other thing is, how do we view the Hagars of this world? Isn't it easy to look at people and say, well, I know the reason why they're homeless. I know why they are in poverty. Oh, they're an immigrant. Why should we let them in? And yet, we realize that these are Hagars and they have stories. And unless we get to know their story, we need to be very careful who we judge. And instead, do whatever we can to learn stories and see Hagar's for who they really are, created in the image of God. And even if they've contributed to some other things, I, a lot, I, I've contributed to a lot of stuff in my life that I shouldn't have, and God's been gracious. May we be gracious and come alongside each other and the people that God brings into our lives. <clears throat> Well, so now the angel of the Lord. And did you notice it doesn't say an angel of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord. In the Hebrew scriptures, what it says, the angel of the Lord. Somehow God is manifest before people in a very intimate way. Look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, Hey, you're now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man and then goes on to explain how there's going to be hostility with his brothers. Now, if you were pregnant and you were going to have a child and someone said to you, hey, he's going to be a wild donkey of a guy, right? That'd be offensive, wouldn't it? But we need to unwrap culturally what this is really saying. See, to us, donkeys are often like almost cartoon caricatures, right? But let's remember in, in Hagar's generation, a donkey had incredible value for farming and for travel. So they were domesticated. But God says, your son is going to be a wild donkey. Here's what he's saying to her. Your son's not going to be a slave. Your son's going to be free. He's going to be wild. I'm going to set you free. Wow. He speaks into her future. And... And that's exactly what happens later in Genesis 21. God rescues Hagar and then Ishmael and liberates them to their freedom. See, there's really three slaves in this episode. 
Abram and Sarah are slaves. They just don't know it. They're slaves to their society because they're finding their identity in their culture. And they're slaves to sin. And because of that, it's damaging their marriage and it's causing the oppression of other people. Hagar's also a slave. See, she's been trafficked from Egypt. But God's going to set her free. And Hagar's the one in this story who then ends up with this tremendous spiritual understanding where she sees, you know, God sees me and I've seen who God... I, I grasp who God is. And she's going to be the one who's going to be liberated by Genesis 21. It's beautiful because God is the liberator of the humble and the poor and the marginalized. And unless we realize spiritually we were impoverished and enslaved and marginalized from God, we will be far away from God in our religiosity until we throw ourselves to God's mercy. God, I was marginalized. I was enslaved by sin. I I need you on the cross to set me free. And we're then called to be the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus to be... How did I do? Damaris, is that good? Yeah, you write. Yeah, the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus to help liberate other people spiritually or out of poverty or out of racism or out of whatever it is that God calls us to be helping to liberate peoples. See, one of the challenges for me all week and, and I hope for all of us, are we more like Abram and Sarah without even realizing it, taking advantage of our privilege? That's exactly what they're doing. They're taking advantage of their privilege and they don't even know it. Or are we more like Hagar who's humble and desperate and open to God? And because of that, her eyes are open, her life is open, and she's the one who ends up closest to God in this passage. And she describes this in verse 13 to wrap it up. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. She's the only person in the Bible who gives a name to God. Isn't that cool? Here's a slave girl who's been abused. She's the only one who has the kind of breakthrough to where she says, God, I'm going to give you a name. You're the God who sees me. Wow. And she also says, I've seen God. I've seen who God really is. Now, this is fascinating. It surprised me, okay, because uh, the word seen is translated from, from the Hebrew word um, ahare. It's a fascinating word. It literally, the etymology is the back. She literally says, I've seen God's back. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? So research on the etymology of the word in the Hebrew concept to say, I've seen ahare, the back, it really means I've seen through this person. I've seen deep within them. I've seen their heart all the way through. See, she's seen the heart of God who met her at her place of giving up and has ministered to her and will ultimately set her free. This shouldn't surprise us because do you remember what Jesus was most criticized for? One of the reasons they nailed him to the cross, he was spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes. Tax collectors were the socially marginalized. They were the people his culture hated. And prostitutes were the spiritually marginalized. And Jesus spent time with so many people who were lost, broken, damaged, rejected, wounded. And what he's showing us is, spiritually, we all need to recognize, I'll say this again, 
We don't come to God saying, God, look at the package. Look at how religious I've been, how much I've given, the ways that I've served. That's pride in my own self. That's being Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah said, you know, God, we can, handle, we can do this. We don't really need you. We'll do it. And it was a mess. Spiritually, when we say, God, I really can't do I, I, I can't measure to, you, to your holiness. I, I can't be faithful without you. I need you. Take my sins, nail them to the cross, embed your spirit within me and guide me to be a grateful recipient of your grace and live differently and see the world differently. And then we're also called, and this will be a lifelong journey, challenging for us, to have the eyes of Jesus to see people, to see the Hagars of our world differently than our culture's lens, but through the eyes of Jesus. Because let's remember, Jesus on the cross saw you and saw me. I've often wondered, for years I've wondered, you know, Jesus, how, how is Jesus so faithful on the cross, right? Because if it's me and they've beaten me and tortured me and nailed me to the cross, and I'm God in the flesh, which you can be glad I'm not because I would have messed the gospel up, I would be like, I have the power of God. I'd thunderbolts down, boom, the Roman soldiers are incinerated, you know, the... Uh, the nails come down, I, get, I find some nice woman, marry her, and I'm the rabbi back home in uh, Nazareth, right? That's not what Jesus did. Why not? How did he stay faithful through all the agony? He saw you. He said, I'm doing this for you. This is going to redeem your life by name, each one of us. I'm here for you because you need your sins and filth and brokenness and depravity nailed to the cross, and I want you to be conformed more to be my beloved child so that you can be fulfilled for, for, for the destiny that I've called you to and so you can be my embassy, my ambassadors, my light in a darkened world. There's Hagars all over in our world today. Some of us are Hagars in different seasons of our lives, women and men. Some are in the church. If you are a Hagar, if you've experienced abuse or rejection or pain, or damage, or suffering, God sees you. We as a church family see you. And we stand together. In the midst of brokenness, damage, wounded, oppression, we stand together as a church community and strive to our neighbors locally and around the world to be about God's healing journey, God's shalom of hope, and wholeness for our world. And, and there's Hagar's on our campuses, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, out in our world, at Place of Promise. That's a big reason why the mission team went to, play, to, to one day be, be one part of the mosaic of what Place of Promise does for people who've been ensnared in prostitution or homelessness or addiction to let them know God sees you, you have inestimable value. Let's go on a journey to change the future. I actually have this in my notes. It says <laughs> that we might be the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ to each other, to our neighbors in our world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamherst.org. 
Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification where our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a wonderful day.